You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Man versus Himself. Hello? Hey, Josh. Yes. Hey, man, how are you doing? I don't know. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, but I mean, is anything wrong? No. Why would, why would you ask that? I because I'm used to hearing from you like a dozen times a day and all of a sudden nothing. I haven't heard from you in like two, three weeks. What's going on? John, there's been a change in my life, okay? Things are different now. Well, you have a girlfriend? Uh, no, I don't have a girlfriend, but I, I've just made some changes and, and things are different. And what are you talking about? So a part of these changes are, you know, I don't hear from you anymore? You've cut me out of your life? It's not about you not hearing from me. It's about me reclaiming space in my life from things that you, that formerly occupied a lot of my time and energy. What are you talking about? John, it all stems from the area code. What area code? The area code changeover that happened a few weeks ago. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, you mean now you have to dial in Montreal, yeah. you have to dial 514 when you're making local calls. That's right, when you're making local calls. Right, and? And, and quite frankly, that was a turning point for me. That was, that was the tipping point. I'm thinking of writing a book about it called The Tipping Point, 514. Wait a second. Are, are you telling me that you're so lazy? I mean, you, you can't you can't muster enough energy. That that's why I haven't been hearing from you. You can't dial a ten digit number. It has nothing to do with laziness. I don't know. How, I don't know how to get that across to you. It's, it has to do with with reclaiming my personal initiative. A few weeks ago, I picked up the phone to give you a call, mm-hmm. and I just started dialing, and it just took so long, and I just got so bogged down in it that I just kind of. Looked at the phone and I just I, I put it back in its I put the I put the phone back in its cradle. I was sleepwalking through life and this whole area code thing. I don't know. It just it just snapped me out of my my stasis. You know, I call it the the, the moment between one and four. You know, I dial the five, no problem. The one, and then I realize, you know what? There's more to life than this. All this just because of the the, the area code change. That's right. Do you know how much time I was wasting calling you up on the telephone? I mean, it was just a complete and utter waste of my time and spirit. You know, it was sapping me. Yeah, I don't mean anything personal by it. It was just a complete and utter waste of my life. Mm-hmm. You were my enabler. You were my phone enabler. Oh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that... Phone enabler. That's very clever. I don't think that's true. I've been doing so many things that are good for me. You well, know, that's great. talking I mean, to people, uh, shopping for healthy food, um, washing, taking lots of showers. I even started singing again. I, I wasn't aware that you sang in the first place. Well, see, there you go. The, yeah, this is news to me. Jane, there's a thing on the side of no, th- Thank God you were able to get back to that. Okay, great. Well, you know, I mean, it sounds like you, um, I mean, you got your, you know, your singing. Yeah, and, I don't, yeah. I mean, you know, clearly you don't need me any longer, so. That's right, uh, I don't. Well, okay, well, great, you know. Um, I mean, I, I wish you would have called me and let me know about this, you know, instead of kind of leaving me in the lurch, but, you Sorry, know. man, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. No hard feelings. None at all, you none taken. I mean, maybe, you know, uh, I guess. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see each other around one of these days. Well, what do you mean? You're getting off the phone? Yeah, I'm getting off. The, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go. Why? What do you mean, why? Because, well, I don't understand. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time, and you, you know, you don't, no, you don't I, talk. You know, I mean, we're talking here. I mean, I, I mean, I'm telling you how much better things are for me. You know, since I don't, since we don't, since we don't do this anymore. Right. So I'm gonna, you know, get off the phone so we can stop doing this, and you can get back to your. No, I mean, I just, 
you don't understand. It's so good for me now not to be doing this. I've, I've moved on. I mean, when I was on the phone, you know, I thought nothing of, of, of just, like, reaching for a sandwich. Mm-hmm. You know, a bacon sandwich, and I would have one of those, you know. I'd wash it down with some with some vodka. Mm-hmm. Now that I thought about it, that stuff is all in the past for me. I haven't had a drink in weeks. I haven't had a bacon sandwich in weeks. Mm-hmm. See, my problem with the BLT has always been the LT, right? The key is just to make a B. Bacon has a lot of... I'm gonna make a, you know what? I'm going to make a little bacon sandwichy. And, uh, Are you sure that's a good idea? Why would it be a bad idea? Oh, come on... I'm out of mayo. I can't. I can't have. I can't have a bacon sandwich without mayo. All right. You know what? I gotta go across the street and get some. Um, well, okay. Well, then I'll. I'll. I'll let you. No, 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 no. Don't hang up. Okay. Don't hang up. I'm. I'm just gonna go and I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. Just whatever. Call, call me back later no, on. No, 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 right? no, 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 no. Just stay on the phone. Just stay. Stay on the phone. Okay. I, I like this. I'll keep you in. Let me just. I'm gonna put the radio on. Okay, I'm gonna put the phone down. I'm gonna put it right next to the radio. You can have a little something, something to listen to while I'm getting the mail for the B. Okay? You like radio? All right, fine. Good, great. Okay, hold on. Sunshine when it's gone This house just ain't no home Anytime John goes What is that? What do you mean, what is that? Ain't no sunshine when I'm gone? Well, I, what, what kind of a song is that? Oh, you got my song? Yes, I got your song. Oh, good. You like it? No. Well, I mean, it, that, it's, it's, I mean it's cute, but I mean, it's not, I, 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 that's not what I'm looking for. I want something that's a little more intense. What do you mean you want something more intense? It's very stalkerish. Yeah, but it's stalkerish. I want something that is the real item. I want something that's going to, like, really chill me to the bone. I want something that's going to make me feel loved, where someone's taking a risk. Like what? Do you want me to abduct you and wrap your head in duct tape and keep you in a basement with water dripping on you and send ransom notes to your loved ones? You know what I'm saying. I mean, like, like in in this day and age, you're no one if you don't have a stalker, right? I'm, I mean, you're not you're not on the celebrity map. I'm on board. I'm going to be your stalker. Although, you know, I'm not that familiar with what stalkers do. Although, I believe in general. Mm-hmm. It's not that the celebrity comes to the stalker and says, can you stalk me? I'm, I'm willing to sign up for this, but I think you shouldn't be quite as choosy with this whole, like, I don't like your song thing. I mean, no, I mean I'm not I'm saying doing I... my best. Right, I know. I just, I, 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 and I appreciate it. Oh, and I walked by where your car was parked. Uh-huh, and? I'm just telling you. I looked at your car. That seems sort of stalkerish. It, it seems sort of stalkerish, but, you know, like, if you pass by my car, why don't you... stalky. <laughs> Right, well, why don't you take out, like, some lipstick or something and write I love you across the windshield? You know what I mean? I'm saying, like, up it a little bit. I, we need the ante upped a little bit. 
And next thing you know, you want me naked on your fire escape, shivering in the rain at 4 a.m. I mean, think about who you're talking to. That's not I'm good. capable of certain things. Right, and I, and I, I understand I'm that. I'm happy to kill your pet rabbit or something and boil it in a pot, but I'm not going to go write lipstick. I don't carry lipstick. I don't use lipstick. Well, that's I don't even use chapstick. I'm, I'm just thinking that if I had my own stalker, it would help my confidence level. You know what I mean? Right, I go right, from being a minor celebrity to a celebrity who's worthy of being stalked. What do you want me to wear, like a long cloak and follow you around with binoculars? Well, there are I mean, a lot of ways to stalk, and I think you're thinking of a kind of like, um, you've closed the aperture down on what stalking can be, mm-hmm. and I think that's hurting both of us in this. Mm-hmm. You're thinking like old media stalking. What if I were to just cyber stalk you? Like, what if I were to arrange for a denial of service to your internet provider? Yeah, but that isn't the way that I imagine this. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. You're not, you're not the boss of me if I'm your stalker. But yeah, I know, but when you, when you agreed to this whole thing, I thought we had kind of talked it through, and I told you what I'm looking for. Yeah, but I'm like Brando. I'm a method actor. Once I get into character, the character gets a life of his own. You know, it's like... I'm imagining more like maybe you ring my doorbell, and then I come to the door, and you're not there, and then maybe I catch a glimpse of you, you know, hiding behind a tree or something. What if I call and hang up a bunch of times in the middle of the night? Well, that would be sort of annoying. Once you sign up for it, it's not like you get to sit there with your mixing board and twiddle the knobs and adjust things. Things get a little messy. That's part of the fun. Yeah, I guess so. You know what? I think you're. Re- I, yeah. I have another idea for you. Forget yes. this whole stalking thing. Mm-hmm. Have you considered collapsing from dehydration when you're doing one of your tours? I don't do any tours. Yeah, well, maybe if you did some tours, you could be hospitalized for dehydration. I see, and then leave people wondering whether I'm addicted to smack or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's very celebrity. Dehydration, huh? You know what? You got a pencil. Mm, yeah. Right. Write this down. Okay. Just to do. Right. You've got to get yourself an entourage. Okay. You've got to collapse from dehydration. Okay. You should probably check yourself into rehab. Mm-hmm. You might want to get gastric bypass surgery. I don't, I don't know that I need that. Don't tell me what you need. I'm telling you what celebrities do. Okay. You might possibly want to consider breaking up a band that you're in and forming a new one or going solo. And then if your new single is a success and you mm-hmm. become a pop star, yeah, I could show up and shoot you at one of your concerts. And I don't mean fatally. I would just wing you. Maybe like an arm or the leg or something. Wait, hang on a second. Look, I, I just wanted a little bit more. I thought a little bit of a stocking might help get me going. I don't want to get shot. I don't want to repeat. Yeah, that's like all kids today. They want dessert without eating dinner. Have you ever heard the expression, fame costs, and this is where you start paying? If, isn't it from the opening montage um, from Fame the TV show? Yeah, well, maybe you ought to rent a few copies on DVD. You should also rent the movie Crossroads with Ralph Macchio from Karate Kid, where he wants to be a blues man. Well, what are you talking about? Why? Does he get shot? Does anyone in fame get shot? No, but he gets this advice that if he wants to sing the blues, he has to pay his dues. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think you grasp that very basic notion. If you want a celebrity stalker, you've got to be a celebrity. And if you want to be a celebrity, you've got to live the celebrity lifestyle. But you see, I, I thought that maybe I could do it backwards. You know what I mean? By getting the stalker, I become someone who's worthy of having a stalker. Plenty of people have stalkers who are just everyday schlubs. That doesn't make you a celebrity. No. You need to be married to a hugely successful pop star mm-hmm. and then start your own clothing line, move to Malibu, have a messy divorce, get pulled over for drunk driving, then maybe you can get a stalker. And you might want to get shot. In fact, you might want to start by getting shot a few times and then get shot again later in your career like 50 Cent or 50 Cent. The rap, uh, rap recording artist? Is there another? I guess not. Well, I was going to suggest that you get an armored personnel carrier. How do you mean? Well, you know how, like, 
when you're famous, let's say you're Eddie Murphy, and you come in and there's an entourage of 60 people and they have to clear the building and security and all this, mm-hmm. it kind of announces that you're somebody. Right. You're not just some some hunched over nobody who comes sniveling into the supermarket to see what's on sale. Uh-huh. When you roll into town with like a, a caravan of blacked out SUVs and some bulldogs, maybe you're the one in the armored personnel carrier or Pope Mobile or something like that. It kind of tells the world you're somebody special. Uh, right. So then it might invite a stalking. Yeah, like, here's what you should do. Yeah. You should get yourself some plexiglass or Lexan or some clear acrylic polymer mm-hmm. and make a box like a fish tank and put some wheels on it, but your feet can stick out the bottom like Fred Flintstone in his car. Mm-hmm. And then when you walk down the street, you just kind of <laughs> walk inside this rolling plastic box. And then maybe you put some words just to dumb it down around the outside that say, like, caution, famous person inside this bulletproof box. Do not shoot or stalk. Well, see, now you're just being absurd. No, but that way when you show up at the opera or something, (laughs) you're going to have these photo opportunities on the red carpet where it's going to be just like typical loser famous rich people on the red carpet. Then suddenly here comes Jonathan Goldstein in his plastic fish tank. Mm -hmm. And maybe you could make a name for it, like how the Pope Mobile is a name. Yeah. Something like, I don't know, the Goldstein Mobile. (laughs) Actually, you know what would be funny? What's that? If you could... (laughs) I'm sorry, not funny. Yeah. You know what adds to the security is if you can get one of those things like at a movie ticket counter where there's a little U-shaped opening and a little slot to pass money through. Uh-huh. And you could do all your interviews by sticking your mic out through that little slot. You could have a catchphrase, too. A lot of famous people have catchphrases. Like yours could be, this is Jonathan Goldstein and please don't stalk me. What you're kind of fundamentally failed to understand is that no one's going to stalk you when you hang out a sign saying, please stalk me. You have to say, please don't stalk me if you really want to attract the big fish. under her desk 
and kneads the carpeting with her toes. At the office, he used to check his email about every half hour or so. But then, he started checking it every 15 minutes. Then, every five. Then he started checking it every two minutes. Then one minute. And now, lately, he checks his email every 10 seconds. He has no idea what he is hoping to find in there. What could he possibly find? He knows that no matter the message, it will not be enough. An email from a long-lost girlfriend? His real father? A dead grandmother? He knows it wouldn't make a difference if he received an email from God himself, a subject line that read, You must change your life. He would open God's email, read it, and check again for something new, ten seconds later. On Tuesday, she eats lunch at a cafeteria-style deli two blocks from the office. She shares a table with two well-groomed and conservatively dressed female professionals. Although the seating area is packed and they are surrounded by strangers, one of the women complains openly about her husband's growing disinterest in her body. I've been afraid this would happen ever since we started going out, the woman says. Barry used to be a total animal. Now he hardly knows him around. She tries to picture Barry in her mind. She imagines him in a pink polo shirt, penny loafers, and a gold bracelet with the name Barry engraved on it. She imagines him avoiding his wife by spending long hours in the garage, gluing childhood toys together. She looks from one woman to the other as she picks walnuts out of her salad. Then she thinks, I can't imagine that happening to me. I mean, I'm sure it will happen, someday, but I just can't imagine it. Like always, he eats his lunch at his cubicle while looking at his favorite websites. He imagines what it might be like to go to some pornographic website, just as a joke. He imagines looking at the naked pictures while eating his turkey sandwich. He imagines the look on the faces of his co-workers as they see what he is doing. He imagines the sound of his manager's voice asking him what was going on and being completely unable to answer him. Thursday, there is a party for someone leaving the office. She always goes to all the office parties she can, even when she hardly knows anyone. She enjoys trying to determine how well-liked the guest of honor is by the turnout, quality of food, number of signatures and personalized messages on the card, and overall party vibe. She also enjoys eavesdropping on the most socially awkward-looking employees. As she serves herself a dollop of ice cream, she overhears two guys talking about watching whole seasons of TV shows on DVD. How fantastic it is to enjoy a whole season in one shot. They make it sound like opium. She thinks about telling them that she just got a great one, a DVD of a shortly ran TV show about a woman who has a rare condition that forces her to laugh when she's sad and cry when she's happy. But she says nothing. As always, she keeps her best and brightest thoughts to herself. He's gotten into the habit of getting a muffin at three o'clock. He leaves the office and goes to a little place in the food court. The teenage girls who work there wear bonnets. The bonnets make them look like depressed sunflowers. He has never been the kind of guy to eat muffins, but he finds himself looking forward to them all morning and afternoon. Muffins are like cake, he thinks, but without any of the festiveness. You don't need an occasion or a companion to eat a muffin. I am becoming a muffin man, he thinks. Friday morning, she realizes that if she doesn't do something drastic, she's going to lose her mind. She's hungover and hungry, and shaky from coffee, 
and slowly the idea comes to her that she has this job because this is the job she deserves. She has no real talents. To make herself feel better, she takes several pens from her desk drawer and puts them in her bag. She digs around and finds a ruler and steals that too. Then she fantasizes about eating one of the lunches she's always asked to order for the executives. She'll tell whoever it's for that the delivery guy never showed. Then she'll take it to the food court and spend about 45 minutes slowly savoring their lunch. Or she'll eat it at her desk so that maybe someone will notice and fire her. When he walks into the office lunchroom and goes to pour himself a cup of coffee and sees that the communal coffee machine is empty, he knows that the next seven minutes of his life will be accounted for. He throws out the old filter and gets a new one. He gets the scoop and scoops out the beans from the bag in the bottom cupboard. Then he grinds the beans, puts them in the fresh filter, pours the water, and turns the machine on. It is the most socially mindful and satisfying part of his day. He believes that actually admitting this to himself is meaningful. It either means that he is finally becoming more honest with himself about his feelings, or that he has entirely abandoned his own sense of pride. He brews the coffee, vacillating between the two. After lunch, which she's eaten alone at the deli near the office, she goes to a liquor store and buys a little airline-sized bottle of early times bourbon. She doesn't feel like drinking so much as she feels like drinking on the job, as a way of asserting to the job her freedom. You cannot make me not do what I want to do. You cannot make me not have fun. Once back at her desk, she slips the little bottle into her pocket and walks to the lunchroom for coffee to mix with. She enters hurriedly, but stops short a few steps in. There is a man at the coffee machine, bent with his hands on his knees, watching the coffee filter into the pot. For a moment, she has no idea what to do next. Usually, when he makes coffee, his co-workers walk in and engage him in conversation. Filling up the old coffee machine, someone says. Yes, he answers. Good stuff, they say. Sometimes, they lean against the counter and wait for him to finish preparing the coffee, their empty mugs dangling in their hands like begging bowls. He feels like the center of attention, the man of the house. Out of the silence, they will say, brewing the elixir of life, and he never has any idea how to respond. But today, out of the silence, there is only silence. He sees her standing in the doorway, quietly, waiting. The first thing he notices about her is that she has a large forehead. It reminds him of Frankenstein, but in a really nice way, like a pretty Frankenstein. He's known many intelligent people who have had large foreheads, and he's always imagined that it's because their brains are too big for their heads to contain. She is looking at him. He looks like the kind of guy her mother would like her to be interested in, the kind of guy whose pleasure and stability borders on perverse like a well-organized sock drawer probably really lights his fire. He is at home in himself and in this office, and she wonders if at the end of the day, the janitors open a panel in his back and power him down, then put him in the utility closet next to the copy toner. But she almost envies him. She thinks, at least someone is happy here. It isn't like he decides that he's going to say something that he actually means, something true and even vaguely embarrassing. It just happens. It's the kind of thing that only happens to him once in a while, say, once every three years or so. 
Most of the time, he says things that he only half believes. And more often than that, he says things that he probably doesn't believe at all. He looks at her, and out it comes. Sometimes, he says, there's a certain way that coffee can hit you that really makes you feel like anything can happen. Like the thoughts you have are very important somehow. She understands. She says, I understand. When I drink a lot of coffee, I have to keep a pen around because I feel like if I don't write down a thought, it'll disappear forever. She pulls a scrap of paper out of her back pocket and unfolds it. One of my favorite things she reads is to pretend when I'm on the down escalator that the old person passing me on the up escalator is actually my grandchild visiting me from the future. The way her face looks when she reads is like the way children's faces look. Her eyebrows are arched up high. Her mouth is a perfect circle. He is so excited to be spoken to the way she is speaking to him that he can hardly even hear what she is actually speaking. She finishes reading to him and then feels embarrassed. But when she looks up from her paper, he's smiling. Not really smiling, but smiling with his eyes. She thinks about how smiling with your mouth is nothing, but smiling with your eyes comes from someplace deep. He doesn't know what to say next. Can I pour you a coffee? He asks. She holds out her cup, and he pours. on tight and a rub on ten. He's got me running around the office like a dog around a track. But when I get back home, you're always there to rub my back. Hey, Julie, look what they're doing to me, trying to trip me up, trying to wear me down. Julie, I swear it's so hard to bear it, and I'd never make it through without you around. No, I'd never make it through without you around. On Wiretap today, you heard Gregor Ehrlich, Joshua Carpati, and Anthony Mascaro. Today's episode was written by Jonathan Goldstein and Anthony Mascaro, and produced by Jonathan Goldstein, Wendy Dore, and Carolyn Warren. Production assistance from Mira Bertwintonic. Tune into Wiretap Sunday at 1, 4 Pacific Time, and Friday evening at 8.30. You can also hear Wiretap across North America on Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap.